I remember vividly the summer of 1993. Now, I was in the second year of my degree, and I answered an ad in a newspaper uh, called The Stage. Now, The Stage newspaper was... Um, was where all performing artists found jobs. I was doing a performing arts degree at university where I met through, and everybody who was anybody read the stage every week when it came out, looking, looking for jobs, looking for gigs, looking for work in theatre and stuff. And, and I found this ad, which I answered. It was um, uh, an ad looking for a, a band looking for a pianist to join them for a European tour. Now I had already been playing in a band for a few years with, with actually with Lee who was drumming today, uh, gigging in the working men's clubs around the Midlands and I'd been doing that before I went to uni but this for me uh, seemed to be a whole new level actually going on tour and I felt quite excited so I called them up and they invited me to go around to their uh, to their place um, and I met them at the, their home in East London and my audition actually was to to do a gig with them that evening uh, and I was a bit nervous I didn't really know the songs too well um, in fact this band they were called the Jive Aces they were um, a band who did uh, kind of jazz standards uh, but in a rock and roll style or punk style they were very very fast very high energy uh, it was great fun to play and literally they would take jazz standards and play them at three times the speed, uh, jumping around in their zoot suits. <laughs> if anybody doesn't know what a zoot suit is, it's kind of 1930s, think, think 1930s American gangster, big shoulder pads. Um, and that was the era of music they played, so that was what they wore. And I was really nervous. I don't think I played that well, but for some reason I got the job. I guess they didn't have many responses to their ad. Um, and they told me that we were leaving for Switzerland in a couple of days' time. Um, and we were going to be away for the whole summer. So I was really, really excited. I went back to uni and I told my tutor that uh, I've been invited to, to play and he was cool with it. He said, yeah, that's no problem. Just make sure all your work is done. I spoke to Fru, uh, who I'd be actually my wife now, but I'd been dating for just a few months at that point. Uh, and I spoke to her and, and she was cool with it. And I did the whole, you know, wait for me, I'll be back. Like I was going to war or something. Um, to be honest, I spent a lot of the money I earned um, calling through from public telephone boxes around Europe. Anyway, one of the first gigs that we did was this posh corporate event in Switzerland. I don't really know what the event was for, but there were maybe a couple of thousand people in this big hotel ballroom. And this was the hotel that we were staying at. And this hotel, let me tell you, was a whole other level. It was so posh. It was this big skyscraper. It had a pool on the roof that had an indoor bit and you could swim through the tunnel to this outdoor infinity pool overlooking the Alps. I'd never seen anything like it. I was this working class black country boy and I was used to rough working men's clubs with bingo, smoke-filled rooms and, and chewing gum on the carpet. That's what I was used to. This was totally different. Anyway, we did the first set and it was all fine. 
the Swiss, uh, kind of the audience, were exactly as you would imagine them to be, pretty buttoned up. There was a smattering of polite applause at the end of every song, but nobody got up on the dance floor. And it was all quite subdued. It was very different. I hadn't done many gigs, but the gigs I had done were a lot more, um, you know, the, the audience got a lot more involved and danced and kind of enjoyed themselves a bit more. So during the break, uh, me and the rest of the band, we were p feeling pretty subdued, pretty downcast and sorry for ourselves. We wanted it to go well. And we were standing backstage, about to go on for our kind of last set, our second set. And the lead singer stopped us. And he turned to us and he said, what are we here for? He said, lads, what are we here for? I don't want to go out and do another set like that. We are better than that. So what we're going to do is we're going to go out there and we're going to give them a show like they've never seen. We're going to pull out all the stops. What are we here for? We haven't come all this way to quietly entertain a few people as they eat their meals and, and kind of talk to each other. Anyway, it was as speeches go, it was pretty inspiring. So, and that's exactly what we did. We pulled out all the stops. We came in with our version of Oh When the Saints but it wasn't like you've ever heard it, okay? It was, I mean, normally this, this track we did was big and loud and fast, but we came out and we did it bigger and louder and faster than ever. The lead singer, Ian, with his trumpet, he was jumping all over the stage, blowing his trumpet, standing on the double bass, standing on the drums, just going mad. The sax player was going mad. The drummer was really going for his hair, flying around. Uh, Ken, the double bass player, was flinging his double bass around, lifting it up in the air and playing, playing the notes while it was vertically the wrong way around. I mean, it was amazing. I did a proper Jerry Lee Lewis thing. I kicked the stool back, my foot on the piano. Uh, I didn't set it on fire, but I was close. We played our hearts out. And the whole room just erupted. I mean, it went crazy. These were Swiss bankers. They were watchmakers, probably chocolate makers, I guess. And for the next hour, they lost themselves in this performance. Everyone was dancing and sweating. It was like all these pent up years of kind of not letting themselves go finally exploded in that Swiss hotel that night. It was incredible. One of the best gigs I have ever been involved in. It's a fantastic memory for me. And it all started with those five simple words. What are we here for? What are we here for? Now, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at all the things that the Holy Spirit does for us, how he, how he dwells in us, how he advocates for us, how he develops fruit in us, how he equips us with various gifts, and he connects us to God and to each other. He reminds us of our standing with God. There's so many incredible benefits we enjoy and it's simply wonderful. But the question remains, so what? So what? What, what then are we here for? What are we here for? We don't just get saved, receive the Holy Spirit and then wait our lives out to die and go to heaven. There's got to be more to it than that. The Bible gives us some clues about what we're here for. Paul, writing to the Ephesian church in, in chapter 2, verse 10, uh, said this, For we are God's handiwork, his, his creation, his masterpiece, uh, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, 
which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's handwork, handiwork. We've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So at that moment where we give our lives over to Jesus, where we accept him as our saviour, when we become what we call saved or born again, something in the universe shifts. We are no longer simply living out our days on this earth without hope, without God, simply going through the motions, aimless and purposeless. When we turn over our hearts and say, God, I am yours, I receive your grace, I receive the forgiveness of my sins, and I'm going to live my life for you, Jesus. At that moment, this statement about us doing good works becomes our reality. We become God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. Why? To live our eternity with him in heaven? That's definitely part of the promise, but there's more than that. And the reality for our present life here on this earth is so much bigger than simply waiting for heaven. You see, we become a people for whom God has prepared a purpose. We become a people for whom God has prepared good works. God wasn't surprised when you gave your life to Jesus. He's had this this task list, this to-do list ready for you since the beginning of time. He doesn't say, oh, oh, Adam, you're following me now. Oh, right. Well, in that case, I'd better think of something for you to do then. Keep you busy. Uh, right, hold on a minute. Have you got a pen? I'll just I'll write a list for you. <laughs> That's not how it works. He knows the end from the beginning. He knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. Every hair on your head is numbered. Um, he's prepared good works for you to do, and he prepared them well in advance. He's interested in every single one of us, and he wants to give our life purpose and meaning. And honestly, we spend so much time and energy searching for purpose and meaning in so many different places, when really in Christ is the only place we truly get those things. And the amazing news is, he doesn't just give us purpose, he doesn't just give us meaning, he doesn't just give us uh, a task to do with our lives and send us on our merry way. Here's your list, off you go. That's not what happens. He, 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 he gives us a purpose and he remains with us. He comes in us. That's the Holy Spirit in us. He gives us the Holy Spirit's power to equip us in the tasks he wants us to do. So uh, Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, explained it uh, like this. In, we find it in 1 Corinthians, the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 3, from verse 10. He says this, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So there is our initial foundation, is Jesus Christ. It's pretty clear. Um, we put him first, and then we start building on that. And each one should build with care. So this verse speaks of our salvation. We start our, our Christian, our kingdom walk by giving our heart to Jesus. And that is our salvation. That's our foundation. Um, now, most of you know, we've been building an annex in our garden, uh, ready for my parents to move in actually a week tomorrow. Um, and the first week of the build, uh, the builders were preparing the foundation. And 
just watching them at work gave me such confidence. Uh, because the annex we're building is classed as a mobile home. It's, it's, it's a wooden structure, it's single story, it's not as heavy as it would be if it were, if it were bricks. Um, but the foundations that the builders put in were so amazing, they were solid. They dug 27 big holes, about five to six feet in depth, and they filled them with concrete, totally solid. And I'm looking at this thing thinking, wow, this thing is never gonna shift, which is a good thing. Okay, you don't want your uh, parents' house to be moving. Um, a solid house needs a solid foundation. And for us, that foundation is Jesus. He's our cornerstone. We sing it, don't we? Christ alone, cornerstone. Uh, weak made strong in the Father's love. Jesus is our foundation. But that's not the end of the building. You gave your life to Jesus. That's fine. Your foundation is solid. Your eternity is settled. Is that enough? No, no, no. You've now got to stop building your life, building a kingdom life. And that's where we ask the question, well, now, what am I here for? Because things have changed. Now I've given my life to Jesus. I, I have purpose. And so my purpose is different. And I've got to work out what that is. And I've got to live a life worthy of that calling we have received. So let's read on in this passage, in this Corinthian passage. So he said, um, he just said, no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus. And he goes on, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to life. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So let's unpack this a little bit. The foundation is set. It's solid. Great. It's all level. Awesome. Now we have to build. And at this point, Paul is saying we get to choose the quality of the materials that we use. We either use gold silver costly stones by the way that costly stones is is not the kind of diamonds and rubies it's actually talking about building materials like granite or marble and in ancient rome kind of uh, expensive buildings built to last would be built with granite or marble or big big expensive stone in fact you may even see a lot of those buildings still around today 2000 years later um, and then they would be overlaid and ornamented with gold and silver whereas cheap housing maybe for the slaves that they didn't expect to last were built with wood hay and straw now in my parents annex I've been really happy with the quality of the materials they haven't been using granite or stone as I said it's a wooden structure uh, oh no you're thinking, oh no, why didn't you use granite? Why didn't you use marble? I should have used marble on my parents' annex. Yeah, maybe not, a bit too expensive. Um, now I'm a bit of a DIY nerd. So I've been watching those builders build uh, like a hawk. I've been, haven't been using binoculars through the window, but close, uh, for all tell you. I like to see things done well, and I like to see good quality materials. And I've been looking through the window as they've been building, and I've been going, they're saying things like, ooh, look at that lovely mitosaur, or look at that drill. Um, and I've been having power tool envy. And if I'm honest, it's taken every ounce of strength not to go put my tool belt on and go out there and say, right, what can I do? How can I help? But I've been checking everything, 
everything that they're putting in. The laminate flooring, great, 12 millimeter thick industrial grade. The electrical wiring and the plumbing, all high spec and, and up to regulation. The appliances, all German, the windows and doors, the underfloor heating. I've been trawling the internet for information about all these things and everything has been really good quality stuff. I know I sound like I'm on commission, but I promise you I'm not. Now, this is true for the life that we're building too. We have a choice in the materials that we use. We can either use gold, silver, costly stones, or wood, hay, and straw. And as I was reading this, it reminded me of the story of the three little pigs building with straw and sticks and bricks. And then the big bad wolf comes along and blows the first two houses over. Who knew that this fairy story was actually a biblical kingdom principle but it says their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to life it will be revealed with a huff and a puff and i'll blow the house down the quality of each build person's building is gonna be tested testing isn't an option the life that you're building is gonna come under fire in the book of james um, it tells us um, in fact, Rosie, this morning, as she wrote on the group chat in, in WhatsApp, uh, she wrote about this passage. But James tells us to consider it, uh, to consider it all joy when we face trials of many kinds. He says, because the testing of your faith develops uh, resilience, develops uh, perseverance. And that word testing is the same word as proving. God doesn't test our faith in order to see us fail. He tests us so that we can prove how strong our faith is. And this past year, uh, the COVID-19, the pandemic, has tested so many of us in so many unexpected ways. And if you are like me, then maybe hopefully a lot of your life has been tested and, and has stood up to the test. But again, if you're like me, maybe there's some areas of your life that you thought were solid, but they haven't turned out to be as robust or as resilient as you first thought. Now I'm excited by this news again that the country is opening up, restrictions are gonna be lifted, we're gonna be able to sing and invite people into our homes and hang out with each other again in a normal way. But I know there's something in many of us that's still a little cautious. We're wary of people, wary of of being released into society again. Now you all know that I love a movie reference and there's a great movie called The Shawshank Redemption. Redemption. And in this movie, Morgan Freeman, talking to his fellow inmates, makes this statement. He says, these, these walls are funny. These walls are funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them. Enough time passes, you get so you depend on them. <laughs> these walls are funny he said first you hate them then you get used to them enough time passes you get so you depend on them over the next few weeks we're going to be looking at how we can build a kingdom life how with everything going on around us we can build a life that's going to stand up to whatever testing comes our way we're going to use Jesus's teaching from the Sermon on the Mount as a kind of a blueprint because all the information's there, it's all there. We just have to work out how to apply that information as we ask the question, what 
am I here for? What are we here for? And over the next few weeks across the summer, we're going to have some of our young people who are back from, from Moreland's Bible College and Dan back from Teen Challenge. Um, JJ and Megan and Dan, we're going to, I'm going to ask them to preach over the summer a few times and Fru's going to bring a word and I'm going to bring a word or two to us as well. It's going to be really exciting as we learn how to build a resilient kingdom life that will stand up to testing. Now this Sermon on the Mount, we find it starts in, in Matthew chapter 5 and it opens with the section called the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers. And in verse 6, uh, Jesus makes this statement. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. And I think this is a great way of starting to work out what we are here for and building a kingdom life, to hunger and thirst after righteousness. But as I was looking at this passage, I, it got me thinking about why Jesus uses the words both hunger and thirst. Either one of those words would have implied the same meaning. The whole meaning is blessed are those who desire, have a desire for, for righteousness and they will be filled. And, but Jesus says hunger for righteousness and thirst for righteousness. Why the need for both? Now there's another Bible passage where Jesus uses both these terms, hunger and thirst, which might help bring a little bit of clarity to this. And it's found in a different gospel, in, in, in uh, John's gospel, uh, chapter 4. Uh, many of you will know the account of Jesus um, walking through Samaria with his disciples and he stops at a well. The disciples carry on uh, walking, they go off into town leaving Jesus alone by the well and then a woman comes with a jar, uh, it's, it's the middle of the day and she's coming to fill her jar with water and Jesus engages in a conversation with this woman. He says, will you give me a drink? So let's carry on from that point, uh, from verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well, and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So it's interesting. In hindsight, we know now that the water he's talking about is the Holy Spirit. That's the living water that comes into us and flows through us and goes out of us. Um, but at that time, the Holy Spirit hadn't been sent. So she's a little bit baffled by the whole conversation. The conversation goes on. He then says to her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. So what is Jesus doing here? 
They're having a conversation about water and living water, the Holy Spirit. And then suddenly he tells her to fetch her husband. And I think the reason he does that is because they've, they're talking about thirsting after living water. And he knows that she's replaced her thirst for living water with a thirst for other things. And when we are filled with the Holy Spirit and are walking in communion with the Holy Spirit, the desires that we have for earthly, earthly things, whatever they are, whether it's a thirst for acceptance or lust or financial security or a thirst for meaning in our in jobs and employment, a thirst for pornography, for gaining knowledge, pride, these are kind of normal human thirsts things that we desire but when we thirst after the thing that means most to us the holy spirit living water then those other thirsts become less important and for the woman at the well jesus knew that she tried to quench her thirst with men but jesus is offering her a different way and effectively he's saying you will only stop thirsting for the satisfaction that comes from men when you are quenched by the water i give you by the Holy Spirit and guys family this is true for us too we need to stop thirsting after worldly things and simply thirst after the one thing living water now Joshua uh, to the people of Israel when they're in the promised land I think Joshua is coming towards the end of his life and he says this to them. He says, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Choose whom you're going to thirst after. He said, the gods of your ancestors or the gods of the land you're living in? And I think that's a great question for us. What are we here for? What are we here for? Are we, are we looking back in our past, looking at, in, at, at the good old days, harking back to what was, what used to be, thinking, oh, I wish things were like that again. Or are we thirsting after the gods of the land we're living in? Do we run after the uh, things that the world run after, runs after now? Do we pine to go back? Or do we pine for um, the things, the wealth and the possessions and the status and the Instagram followers that the world does? Jesus says, seek first his kingdom his righteousness and all those other thirsts he said those things you're first thirsting after don't worry about those you're going to have everything you need everything you need will be given to you but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness it's interesting isn't it the holy spirit is going to satisfy our thirsts if we let him, if we desire him to. So that's the thirst. Okay, what about the hunger? What about the hunger? So the passage, the John passage goes on. Uh, so Jesus is said, go fetch your husband, and then told her that, uh, prophesied over her. And then it says, just then, from verse 27, uh, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people in the town, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. 
Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? They, they often seem to kind of not get what Jesus is trying to, trying to say. Uh, Jesus carries on, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the field. They are ripe for harvest. So Jesus is saying, you are focused on a meal. I am focused on the mission. You are focused on satisfying your physical hunger. I am sustained from a different source. And, and I think what he's getting at here is the mission will satisfy your hunger. So our longing for sustenance and security to have our belly filled, to have that temporary feeling of satisfaction. It's a natural human condition, but Jesus offers the disciples a different way. He's saying, stop thinking about the meal and start thinking about the mission. My will is to, sorry, my food is to do the will of the Father who sent me to finish his work. And we know that Jesus told us that his mission was to seek and to save the lost. And this is our mission too. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we had that kind of Holy Spirit morning uh, where we just let the Holy Spirit speak to us. And a number of you had prophetic words and they were all speaking into this idea of us not losing sight of our mission to reach our community. It's so easy, isn't it, to gather as a church and become inward looking. But those words were reminding us to be outward looking. This is the way we satisfy our hunger and our emptiness, a thirst for the Holy Spirit and a hunger for the mission. What are we here for? We need to thirst for the Holy Spirit, for the things of God, for his leading, for his guiding. And we need to hunger for the mission to go into the world and make disciples. We need to be living a life led by the Holy Spirit, that living water flowing through us, which is going to temper our worldly desires. And we need to have a deep hunger for reaching our world with the love and message of Jesus. I once heard a question that, that really challenged me. And this question was, if Jesus appeared to you this evening and said, I'm going to answer every prayer that you've made this last week, would there be anybody new in the kingdom of God this evening? If he answered every prayer that we've made, would there be anybody new in the kingdom tonight? That's a challenge, right? Because so often... We get focused on our own little world. Bless me, God. Make the sun shine on me, God. Make my boss stop being to me, God. Make my parents annex in the back garden be straight and sturdy. Really? What are we here for? What about if we really caught this? If we did those two things? If as a people, as a congregation, as a family, we really thirsted for the Holy Spirit, allowing him to shape us, guide us and build us and transform us into a kingdom-shaped church built with gold and silver and costly stones? And what if we really hungered for this mission to see a harvest reach? If we made that our food, if we made that our reason for existence? I'm going to finish now, but I don't want to leave it with that question hanging. What are we here for? I want us to decide what we're here for. I want us to decide and make a commitment to look forward, to press on towards the goal that God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. 
to thirst for the Holy Spirit, to have a, a, a deeper relationship, to, to understand His voice in our lives more and more, and to hunger after the mission that we've been given. So I'm going to pray a prayer, a dangerous prayer if you like. I'm going to invite you all to pray it with me. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit permission to take control of my life and steer it towards the kingdom. And I'm also going to pray a prayer of commitment to the mission we've been given to reach a harvest. And I'm going to pray for boldness and opportunities. Now if you want to pray this prayer with me, why don't you stand, if you can stand, wherever you are. Stand and put your hands in a, in a gesture of openness, ready to receive the Holy Spirit. And why don't you position your feet one in front of the other in a position of readiness to go, to go. We're going to thirst for the Holy Spirit and we're going to hunger for the mission. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the word that you've brought us today. Thank you that you're speaking to each of us and you're not leaving us the same as we have arrived. Thank you that you are answering the question, what are we here for? And Father, we want to be a people who respond to your Holy Spirit. We want to be a people who listen to your voice and recognize your voice and obey God. We want to be a people who thirst for a torrent of that living water to flow through us to the people around us. And Lord God, also we want to satisfy our hunger in the right way. We want to satisfy our desires in the right way by fulfilling the mission that you've given us. And Father, over the coming days and weeks and months, I pray that you would give us boldness to speak out for you and also that you would give us opportunity to talk to those around us, to spread your gospel, to spread your good news, to do the good works that you have prepared in advance for us to do. Help us to look forward and not back and to really be grateful that you are answering that question what are we here for in jesus name we pray amen